invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open it up or turn it on if you're in an app to uh, the book of 1 John, where we've been for the past few weeks and where we'll be for a couple of weeks more. Uh, the book of 1 John will be in chapter 1. We'll cover the last few verses of chapter 1, the first couple of verses of chapter 5, as we're going through a series that I've titled Blessed Assurance, and we're trying to, uh, to ask God to bring us to a place of conviction or comfort, whichever one is fitting for our walk with Christ, our journey with Christ, as we think about the blessed assurance that we can have that God wants us to have in our relationship with Christ. So to Today I'm going to share a message with you that uh, might seem to have an odd title. I had thought about doing kind of a redneck version. You might be a lost person if, but I couldn't really figure out how to make it work. So uh, instead, we're going to go with this title, How to Know That You Don't Know God. You see, one of the ways that John, as he writes this little letter that we call 1 John, one of the ways that he helps us understand how we can have assurance is by explaining to us the kind of people who can't have assurance. He, by explaining to us the kind of people who not only do they not have it, they cannot have this assurance. So what kind of person does John identify as a person who should know that they don't know God? And I'm going to share with you briefly this morning three qualities of such a person, okay? We're just going to jump right in. First is this, if you submit to sin instead of the Savior, you don't know God. Okay, if you submit to sin instead of the Savior, John says that is a sign to us that you don't know God. Look with me in our text, please. 1 John chapter 1. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, when we make this statement and when John's making this point, he doesn't mean that uh, those people will never sin. Saying that you never sin would present its own problem that we'll deal with a bit later. Instead, what John is referring to is a willful, defiant pursuit of sin at the expense of or instead of surrendering to Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's a question of pursuit. If you're pursuing sin, you cannot know God. If that is the, the, the aim of your life, is to pursue yourself, to pursue your way of thinking, to pursue sin. You can't follow God if you're following yourself. It doesn't work that way. Instead, John lets us know that we should pursue Jesus. So if you submit to sin instead of the Savior, you do not know God. Notice the imagery that John uses. God is light. 
and in him is no darkness at all. That word darkness is, means it's, it's a moral darkness. It is uh, injustice, hypocrisy, un, unfaithfulness. You cannot say that you love God, that you walk in the light if you continue to walk in darkness because when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God places a new spirit within you and that spirit that he places within you does not love darkness. That spirit loves light. You see, it is entirely possible to be religious, but to not be submitted to Jesus as Savior and Lord. For you see, some people, and maybe even someone in this room or someone watching us online this morning, some people separate believing in Jesus mentally and repenting of their sin in Jesus practically. And the thing about that is Jesus never separated those two things. In fact, with Jesus believing in him always equates to re repentance. You can't separate Jesus as Savior and Lord. You can't have him save you from your sins, but not give him the reins of your life. It is not an either or. It is a both and. Jesus is not a buffet to where you can pick and choose which parts. I thought I'd use something that I could identify with. Uh, that where you can pick and, and choose parts that you want to take part in or participate in. Jesus is not a salad bar where you can choose the different lettuce you want or the toppings you want. Jesus is not that way. You can't biblically believe Jesus and his gospel without also repenting of your sin. But you see, repentance was the first response that Jesus called for in his very first sermon in Mark chapter 1. His first sermon was this short, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I know you're thinking, pastor, please follow his example this morning, but my name's not Jesus, and you may need to repent, so I can't. Uh, repentance was the, the first subject of Jesus's sermon. Repentance was the, the first command that Peter gave when he first preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2. Repentance is what Paul said that God had commanded all men everywhere to do once they come to the realization that Jesus has risen from the dead, according to Acts chapter 17. Repentance is part of of this process. It's part of submitting yourself to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Because what I want you to understand this morning is this truth. Submitting to Jesus does not just change your mind. It changes your life. And see, you can't say that you know Jesus or that you're following Jesus if you aren't willing to forsake what Jesus has forbidden, you can't love Jesus and simultaneously embrace that for which he died to end. In fact, a little bit later in, in 1 John, in fact, in the very next chapter, and it's not part of our text this morning, but in, in chapter 2 and verse 4, John says, whoever says, I know him, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. If you know Jesus, you know him as Savior and Lord. And Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6, why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I have said? You see, lordship, the lordship of Jesus over our life, lordship 
ownership is total. You or I, neither one of us are in a position to demand that we agree with Jesus before we will submit to him. Jesus is right about everything. So you have to come to the point to where you make a determination that when you and Jesus disagree, he is right and you change. Relating to Jesus any other way doesn't cut it. <laughs> I shared with the group Wednesday night that uh, there have been several times that I've thought I knew better than the Lord, and whenever I bring my case before God, not one time has Jesus said, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. <laughs> not one time has he said, you know what, Russell? Yeah, I think you did have a better way of figuring it out. Let's go your route. Not one time has God said, okay, you want up to me. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, if he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you become a perfect person once you come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you have to be a perfect person to have assurance you will fall. But when you fall for the one who follows Jesus, there is a resolve in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that his way is right, and you will seek in your heart to follow him. So then, if a defining characteristic of a person who does not know God is that they submit to sin, then a defining characteristic of the person who does know God is that they surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord. You may fall, but you always get up. But if you submit to sin, Instead of the Savior, John says this is a clear indication that you do not know God. Here's the second quality. If you refuse to admit your sinfulness, you don't know God. There's no conjecture. There's no, it might be this, this might be true. This could be true. This is it. According to what God spoke to John and what John wrote in this letter, if you refuse to admit your sinfulness. You don't know God. First John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say we have no sin, okay, that's a refusal to admit your sinfulness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 of chapter 1. If we say we have not sinned, refusing to admit your sinfulness, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Being unaware of the sinfulness of your heart is a sign that you do not know God. Now, admitting personal wickedness is one of the most difficult things for people to do. I think that we would probably all admit that we aren't perfect. We'd probably all admit that we make mistakes, but it's a bit more difficult for me to admit that there is nothing worthy about my life. In fact, the only thing I deserve is the wrath and condemnation of God. That's a bit more difficult for me to admit because, you see, we want to think that we're basically good people who deserve good things. And the way we know we think that way is when something not good happens to us, we think, why us? Why not the other person? Because we believe at our core that we're basically good and we deserve good things. 
But you know what? One of the first evidences of the light of grace coming into your life is that you have eyes to see the sin in your own heart. Think of it this way. If you walked into a completely darkened room, a room that you had never been in before, if you walked into a completely darkened room, you don't know where the furniture is, you don't know where the light switches are, you don't know where anything is. But suppose you had a match, and you lit the match, and the match would help you see just a little bit the light from the match, just a little bit more that's around you, but the match keeps going out. And so instead of a match, you then use the flashlight. And the flashlight then helps you see a little bit more. In fact, the flashlight lets you see that there's a switch on the wall, and you go and you turn the switch on, and once you turn the switch on, the entire room is enlightened. You're able to see everything as it is. That is what awakening to God is like. And the first sign of God's grace is that you begin to sense how sinful your heart is. And notice, this is not something that occurs one time. This is not something that occurs once and for all when you first become a Christian. In fact, one of the ways that you can know that you're growing in Christ is that you become more and more aware of the sin that remains in your heart. The clearest sign that you're growing in grace is not that you no longer sin, but that you're more aware of how much sin invades your heart. In fact, you may even feel more sinful now than the day when you were saved because God's light in your life is brighter and you can see even more of your own sin. You see, closeness to God doesn't always make you feel holier. Sometimes closeness to God makes you seem more sinful. Now what, Isaiah, what happened to Isaiah <coughs> in Isaiah chapter 6? When he had this vision of God... He didn't walk out of church saying, Woo, I was some good singing. He didn't go walk out of church going, Woo, that preacher's going to stink. He sweat so much. He walked out of that experience and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Sometimes the closer you get to God, you may not feel holier. <laughs> you see that you're more sinful. And when we are confronted with that sinfulness, when God's light shines into our lives, we've got a couple of options. See, some people, when that light exposes their sin, they choose to press deeper into darkness because darkness is comfortable once you get used to it. Some people choose to insist on their own goodness or make excuses for their sin. But John tells us in verse 10 of chapter 1 that if we say that, we make God a liar. His word is not his. Look, we do not sin because we hang around the wrong people. We sin because we are the wrong people. Or some people will come into the light and confess their wickedness. And that's the ideal place where you want to be. So that doesn't sound too fun, Pastor. Hang with me. Because if a defining characteristic of a person who does not know God is that they refuse to admit their sinfulness, then a defining characteristic of the person who does know God is that they are aware of their own sinfulness. 
And being aware of your own sinfulness is a good thing. This is why I personally, pastorally, and practically, any other P word you can think of, have a problem with uh, uh, people behind pulpits or behind lecterns who only talk about the good things about us and not the fact that we're sinners because you will not understand that you are a sinner who needs to be saved unless someone helps you understand that you need to be saved. So once you come to this realization, once you're aware of your own syphilis, that's a good thing. Because what we'll talk about next, here's the third characteristic of a person who does not know God. If you fail to rest in the promise of the gospel, you don't know God. In 1 John chapter 2, it starts this way. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, and we all will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There are two really important words that I want to camp on in just a second to, to start trying to move this thing to a conclusion. One, he mentions this really fancy word called propitiation. That's not a word you use in everyday conversations, but it's a very important word. The word propitiation means that a claim against you has been satisfied. Literally, it means that uh, wrath was absorbed, and in place of ill will, there is now good ill. Let me explain it this way. If you were involved in an accident, if you caused an accident, if you caught oh, an angel was descending upon us for a moment. <laughs> if, you, if you caused an accident worth thousands of dollars of damage to the other vehicle, that person has a claim against you. So when you pay the sum total of what the damage you have done, that person has been propitiated. They have no more claim on you or against you. Jesus propitiated, he satisfied the wrath of God against my sin by suffering the full penalty of my sin in my place. On the cross, every ounce of penalty that I deserved because of my sin was poured out upon Jesus. This is why the cross was so bloody. This is why the cross was so gruesome. My sin against God is so gruesome, and the only way for that penalty to be paid is by the blood of Jesus. He is my propitiation. He, the claim of sin against me has been satisfied. But he's also described as, a, as an advocate. And the word advocate is a legal word. It, it means someone who argues your case, not theirs, your case before a bar of justice on your behalf. Think of it this way. If you are a Christian, Jesus is your advocate before the Father. He stands before God like a lawyer pleading your case. Before God, right now, Jesus argues his propitiation, his substitutionary work on my behalf. Jesus says to God, Father, you cannot hold Jonathan's sin against him because I suffered the penalty for that sin for him. Now, here's what's interesting. In this role of, of advocate 
who argues his propitiation, Jesus does not appeal to God for mercy on my behalf. He appeals for justice. See, Jesus has satisfied all the claims. Look, sin condemns me. The claims of sin, and I am guilty. I have sinned. And guess what? So are you. If you hung around here anytime, you've heard me say often, I have a PhD in SIN. And before you go, ha ha, so do you. So there, there, there's that. We all are guilty. We all stand condemned. And Jesus has satisfied all the claims of sin against me. And now he says to the Father, I have paid the full price for his sin. I've taken the penalty that was due to him so that he could have the credit that was due to me. It's only right, Father, that he not be held accountable for this sin. That is why uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, look at what it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say that he's merciful and kind to forgive us our sins. He is faithful and just. God forgives my sin because not that I am just, but because he is just and he cannot demand two payments, two penalties for the same sin. And when you understand this, this gospel promise is what gives you assurance before God. I know that I am received by God. I know today that I am safe in God, not because of how well I have lived and not because of how well I have done, but because of the finished work of Jesus on my behalf. And when you believe that, you become secure in your salvation because that salvation is no longer dependent upon how righteous you are, but in what Jesus accomplished in your place. Therefore, this morning, my salvation is as secure as Jesus Christ himself because he is my substitute. He is my claim to enter into the presence of God. I'm not going to heaven under my name. I'm going under his. And when I go under his, that gives me assurance. So then if a defining characteristic of a person who does not know God is that they fail to rest in the promise of the gospel, then a defining characteristic of a person who does know God is that they will rest in the finished work of Christ, which then causes us to experience blessed assurance from God. My question to you this morning is, are you resting in that finished work of Christ? Because you see, all of us are trying to get to God. You may not call it God. You may call it something else. You may call it nirvana. You may call it soul rest. I don't, I don't know what you call it, but it's God for which our hearts long. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. The thing about trying to get to God any other way than through Jesus is that any other way depends upon you. If that's your status this morning, if you think this morning that your relationship with God is based upon what you do, I want you to think about something. I want to ask you a question. How will you know if you ever do enough?
how will you know if you've done enough to undo what you thought you did in the first place? How will you ever know that you've done enough to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior? How will you know? You know what the answer to that question is? You can't. You may think you can, and if you think you can, you know what you become? You become one of those arrogant Christian Christians that drive everybody else up the wall because you think you have self-righteousness when you have none. The other point you find yourself in is a point of despair. Which of these things that John warns about is true of you? Are you the kind of person to harden your heart about sin and refuse to come into the light? Do you try to gloss over what God has already said about the wickedness of your sin with excuses or self-justification? Let me, and I'm about to wrap it up. Believing the gospel requires us to believe some of the most hardest things that there is to believe. Believing the gospel requires us to understand and believe that we're so bad that Jesus had to come and die for us. And also for us to believe that Jesus is so good and loving that he was glad to do it. What about you this morning? Do you know God? Have you confessed your sins? Have you found him faithful and just as he has forgiven those sins? Will you today acknowledge your sinfulness? Will you surrender to his lordship? Will you believe the promise of this gospel? Let me tell you how I want to do our invitation this morning. Because I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. My question to you is, have you believed the gospel? Have you rested in the promise of that gospel? You may have walked into this room today and your life is in shambles and your soul is separated from God. You don't have to leave that that way today. Now, Jesus does not solve all your problems. The day you come to Jesus is not the day all your problems go away. In fact, the people who suffer the most around the world are people who follow Jesus. But there is a presence and a power with us. So this morning, if there's never been a time in your life when you simply believe the gospel, in just a second, we're just going to be quiet. And we're going to be quiet for about a half minute, about 30 seconds. And if you don't like, if quiet, if silence makes you awkward, just be awkward for, for a half a minute. And in this space of this half a minute, I just want you to do business with God. If there's never been a time when you have called out to God to save you, call out to him today. Believe the gospel. There, there are no magic words that you say. There's not a magic formula that you have to write down. You simply cry out to, to God confessing your sin and asking, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died to pay your sin and asking Jesus to apply his death to your life. Maybe your next step is not that. Maybe you've taken that step. Maybe you need to be baptized as Miss Janet was this morning. Maybe God's brought you to a point that's your next step. Maybe your next step is to join the ministry and mission of First Baptist Church as we seek to, uh, to change 
the city and our county and our state and our world with the gospel. I don't know what the next step is for you, but I know that what we're going to do, and if you're watching online, I want you to to, to have this silence with us as well. If you're here in our service, in front of you, there's a yellow card in that pew. There should be. That's your decision card. Would you take that card? Everybody everybody take that card out. If you're online, go to fpcmilton.org slash next step. And you look at that card, and that card shows you the steps the next steps that you can take in your journey with Christ. We cannot make those decisions for you. But we invite you to take whatever step it is God is placing upon your heart today. And after we end our time of worship today, as you leave today, you drop that in the offering plate on your, or on the, uh, the boxes on the way out. So, we'll have, so, so we will know that we can help you with that next step you need to take. So right now, I just want you to bow your head right where you are just for 30 seconds. Whatever business you need to do with God, you do it right now. Here online, take care of that business with God right now. Father, I don't know how any of us except myself walked into this room this morning, but I know that any of us and all of us can walk out of here changed. I don't know the spiritual condition of anyone who turned on their computer today to turn into this service, but I know that their condition can change before we end our time here today. You have the ability in a moment to transform and change everything. Whatever step we need to take, Help us to take it. Help us to be your hands and feet. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.